Lean not on your own understanding. Pastor Xavier Reese encourages, trust in the Lord. Each believer must be dependent on the Lord for his strength in all things, small and great. Otherwise, we will fail. You're relying on yourself, not the Lord. Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. All the things he calls me to do, he will be sufficient for them. Not what I want to do, what he calls me to do. Very important. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. This exhortation from Proverbs is a reminder that, left to our own devices, when the chips are down, our best efforts leave a lot to be desired. Thus, when it comes to serving the heavenly kingdom, it certainly seems then that God may not always have the best man for the job at his disposal. Until, that is, you consider this simple truth of Zechariah 4.6. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And today, Pastor Xavier illustrates the sovereignty of God at work with one who took full advantage of this divine empowerment in the ministry of the prophet Jeremiah. Service to God must be embraced by three absolute truths about God. First, God is the protector of the servant. This is the revelation, verse 18 through 23 of chapter 11. Secondly, God is sovereign over the servant. This is in view of the objection, verse 1 through 4 of chapter 12. And then thirdly, God is sufficient for the call of the servant. This is the exhortation in verse 5 and 6. A difficult time for the prophet. That's why he's called the weeping prophet. Jesus is identified. That's why they thought Jesus was Jeremiah. Notice first in verse 18 through 20. The perception of the prophet is enlightened by Yahweh. He gives him a word of knowledge. He shows Jeremiah the people's doing against him. He was going on his business, thinking that everything's okay. God knew the reality. They hate Jeremiah. They resented Jeremiah and saw him as an undesirable tree with its unpalatable fruit, the preaching of the judgment to come. In rejecting Yahweh, they were rejecting the prophet who was bringing Yahweh's message. When you get rejected, do not get offended. And so God is the protector of the servant. This is the revelation of the prophet. Notice secondly, verse 1 through 4 of chapter 12. God is sovereign over the servant. Now, let's see if you can handle this. <laughs> this is in view of the objection of the prophet. Notice first in verse 1, the prophet is perplexed by the problem of the wicked. Now, I know that doesn't bother none of you, so maybe we should even skip this point. This is the second confession. As we see the heart of Jeremiah, he's a man like you and I. He has trouble with some of these things. He gets frustrated. The prophet acknowledges the righteousness of God as he pleads with him. Righteous are you, O Lord. The word righteous, as you know, means that which is right. God is always acting and administering justice to its perfection. We know that. The prophet knows that. 
But Yahweh has just revealed to Jeremiah the plot against his life and the punishment of the culprit is going to happen. But the prophet, noticed in verse 1, cannot reconcile the righteous justice of Yahweh and the ongoing evil in their midst. You have a problem with that? I do sometimes. In our day, evil, evil is catered to. Evil is pursued diligently. The prophet wanted to plead with the Lord about his judgments. He's got a problem with God right now. <laughs> the word plead means to contend or to complain. In, in the most basic meaning, and it can also mean to conduct a case for protection, justice, or a legal suit. Now, God does not mind you asking Him questions or when you have doubts to bring them before Him. But we shouldn't be foolish enough to think that we can charge God foolishly. You as a parent, hopefully are open for your children to ask you questions. Any question. When my kids were growing up, they could ask me anything they wanted. If they didn't agree with some with us, we could discuss it. As long as it was done in a respectful and proper attitude. But if they charged me, that was not tolerated. Okay? And it's the same here. Very important. In other words, the prophet desired to understand how Yahweh judgments regarding the wicked could be reconciled with his righteous character. Now, I know you're righteous, Lord, but I see this stuff going on. And he's going to go, and I don't see you doing anything about it. Does that sound familiar? The word judgment means the act of deciding a case, and it may include the process, the procedure, the litigation, the sentencing, and the execution. The prophet poses two questions to the Lord. First, why does the way of the wicked prosper? Second, why are those happy who deal so treacherously? Oh, the presence of evil by God's allowing is a great stumbling block to many. It's called theodicy. That means that God is in control, yet evil is present. People have a hard time with that. You and I have a hard time with that when it hits home, when it becomes personal. Job points this out to his miserable comforters and physicians of no value, the three stooges, his friends. Because they were saying, Job, you're wicked, that's why God's getting you. And Job says, you guys are foolish. He says, look at the wicked. They got a bigger bank account than I do. They're animals. They don't have miscarriages. They got more than they can wish. So, you're inconsistent in your theology. Habakkuk the prophet, Habakkuk 131. The whole chapter of 31, he speaks about, Lord, you know, why are you going to use the Babylonians? They're evil. They're more evil than us. And God tells you, Habakkuk says, didn't I tell you you wouldn't believe me? <laughs> God is sovereign. Notice secondly in verse 2 that the prophet cannot ignore the acknowledgement that it is Yahweh who gives the wicked life. See, the, the rationale keeps progressing. You're righteous, but I see evil. But then there's the next step. Jeremiah says to Yahweh, you have planted them. Yes, they have taken root. They grow. Yes, they bear fruit. 
So Jeremiah knew that God is the one who gives life to all beings. No one exists apart from him. So he's putting two and two together. Oh, wait a minute, God. You give life. They're alive. Are you for them? Ooh. Jeremiah also knew that the length of life was determined by God, not man. And he sees these guys living long. Jeremiah's problem is, how can God be righteous and allow the wicked to live? And so Jeremiah again says, you are near in their mouth, but far from their mind. So the prophet points to the hypocrisy of the wicked as they profess to have a relationship with Yahweh. The word hypocrite comes from the word actor in the Greek, hypocritos, the mask. Remember the old movies, the mask, the frown and the smile? And you put a mask before your face and you go out before the public and you present yourself to be someone other than you are. That's what a hypocrite is. You wear a mask. Jeremiah witnessed the wicked say they knew Yahweh, but their mind denied him. He had a problem with that. The reverence here to the wicked is to their heart. Who they really were. Again, the word is kidney. The visceral, emotional, intellectual aspect of it. And to the Hebrew, that's, this is where it was at. And so, it seemed as if God was permitting them to prosper and deal treacherously. Whenever I come to those conclusions, eh, I'm wrong. I have to stop there. Because I cannot interpret life in terms of what I see always. I have to interpret life in view of the scriptures. What it says about God. What it says about life. What it says about me. Notice 30 in verse 3 and 4. The prophet prays for the judgment of the wicked. Jeremiah acknowledged that Yahweh knows that he stands in sharp contrast to the wicked. You know me. Remember the opening chapter? I knew before you in your mother's womb. Chapter 1 verse 5. You see me. You have tested my heart towards you. Jeremiah had been Yahweh's faithful servant throughout the years to this point. Chapter 11, verse 20. Chapter 17, 9. He'll deal with the heart. Deceitful, desperately wicked. God had tried him. He had been going. He would preach for 40 years and 10 years after that. Faithful. The implication being that the ill treatment by the wicked towards Jeremiah was what? Uncalled for. They're wicked. I'm serving you, Lord. And they're doing this to me. That's not right. And you say you're for me, but I still see them alive and doing this. Conflict of interest, frustration. Notice Jeremiah and his inability to understand the reconciliation of God's righteous judgment and the allowance of the wicked commits himself to the righteous character of God. Bing, there's the key. Whenever you and I see something that contradicts seemingly the Bible, I must rest back on the character of God. He is of pure eyes and to behold evil. He cannot have anything to do. In fact, in Psalm 22, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And if you go down a verse, he says, Because you are holy. He turned his back on his own son because his son became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And if God turned his back on his own son, don't you ever dare accuse God of being one with evil. You fall back on his character. He's holy. He's just. He's perfect. The prophet prays that Yahweh pull the wicked out of the sheep for the slaughter. 
The prophet prays that the wicked be prepared for the day of slaughter, the day appointed by God. So just like you would pick different sheep out for the sacrifice, select them, set them apart, that's what he's asking for. Beautiful metaphor. Notice verse 4, the prophet pleads for the land now. Jeremiah asks, how long would the land mourn, the fields wither, and the birds and the beasts be consumed? You see, Jeremiah blamed the devastation of the land and animals on the wicked. The curses and the judgments and the famines and the plagues that came on the people were directly related to their sin and God was judging them. The land always suffers because of sinful men. God's creation. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. Adam blew it. Thorns and thistles. The creation has been marred. This is not what God intended. This is the result of the fall. So Jeremiah quotes their words, revealing the attitude of their heart. He will not see our final end. Now some say this is in reference to Jeremiah. Others say it's Yahweh. I believe it's Yahweh. Let me give you a note here by uh, Geneva Commentary on this point. He says, Abusing God's leniency and His promises, they flattered themselves as though God would never or would ever be merciful and not utterly destroy them. Therefore, they hardened themselves in sin till at length the beasts and the insensible creatures felt the punishment of their stubborn rebellion against God. Listen, when you are in sin, people around you suffer. You affect them. Never forget that. The problem of evil in the world and the existence of God at the very same time is a very perplexing one. But let me give you some good biblical principles so that you don't fall into foolishness and charge God foolishly. Habakkuk one thirteen says, God's of pure eyes and to behold evil with condonance or permission. So that's an absolute principle. God's the epitome of holiness, okay? But also the world that we see around us is not what God intended. It's a result of the fall. So when you look around and you see the weeds, you see the smog, you see everything else, don't blame God. This is man's doing because of the false in nature. The marred creation is the outcome, as we said, of Adam's fall. But God in His sovereign wisdom has allowed the natural course of the fall and evil to operate for His eternal plan and glory. He is in control, but He does not intervene in the natural course of the fallen world. But He's sovereignly control over it, and He's never part of the evil. You say, how can that be? Well, that's why you're not God, and I'm not God. No problem with Him. But also, the temptation to make God one with evil must drive me back to His character of holiness and perfection. Always. When I see something, then I try to make I have to go back on His character. He's absolutely holy. These principles will keep you from great error. You ever read Psalm 73? The psalmist was kind of frustrated in this way too. He was saying, no, look at the evil. They're doing this. They have kids. They have money. They have everything else. I cleanse my hands in innocency. He says, until. Verse 17 says, until I went into the sanctuary of God. When he went to pray. Then he says, oh Lord. They're, they're walking on slippery poles. Here I'm envying the wicked. Ah, oh, Who do I have in heaven besides you? Who do I desire on earth besides you? Forgive me. Oh, don't ever get envious at the wicked. Don't ever think that God's ripped you off. It's a great mistake. God is sovereign over the servant. This is the answer to the objection of the prophet. Can you serve him sovereignly? 
Or you're going to pout and say, well, I'm not going to serve you no more. Look at all these people. What do you care about? You just pray. You serve him. You be faithful. Notice lastly, verse 5 through 6. God is sufficient for the call of the servant. This is the exhortation. Verse 5, first of all, Yahweh reproves Jeremiah by telling him to not trust himself. This is the bottom line. The Lord tells Jeremiah, if you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, how then can you contend with the horses? Now, the metaphor is a military one. If he had run with the footmen and they had wearied him, how could he contend with horses? He couldn't. It's obvious the answer. The implication being that what Jeremiah had gone through by the men of Anathoth, as they sought to kill him, listen, was nothing compared to what was going to happen. It was going to get tougher in Jerusalem. Modern words, Jeremiah, if you can't suck it up now, what are you going to do later? Ooh. The instruction and exhortation to Jeremiah was that the ability of his flesh just would not do for spiritual service or warfare. It just won't do. Now notice the second metaphor. is one of the land of peace at the present there. And if Jeremiah had trusted in this peace and became wearied by the people, how would he do in the floodplains of the Jordan? The reference to this floodplain is a flood season that came in early April or May when the Jordan River overflowed its banks. Now, you've seen a river that contains itself, it's fine, but when it's overflowed, it's got torrent, it's got power, destruction. So, the metaphor reinforces what he said. So, the implication being here that the things were going to get much worse before they got better as the Babylonian armies came to besiege the city. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think the world's going to get better? No. Are you sucking it up? Are you handling it pretty good right now? Because if you can't run with the footmen now, what are you going to do with the horses? What are you going to do when Jordan floods over? Very important. The instruction and exhortation to Jeremiah again was that God alone is sufficient to empower him for service and for the testings of life. Not his own flesh. The double metaphor gives the emphasis to not trust ourselves. And that God will be faithful in the time that we need the strength. Notice secondly in verse 6, Yahweh puts his finger on what was overwhelming to Jeremiah. Jeremiah's brothers and his house of his fathers had dealt treachery with him. Now treachery can only take place when someone who is close to you betrays you. You entrust yourself completely to them. They act deceitfully and disloyal. A wife, a husband, son, a daughter, cousin, uncle, a real close friend. Immediate family members, perhaps here in reference to uh, his, his brothers and sisters, and then the father's house to his cousins, his uncles, and all that. This is where it hurts. When we can't understand why someone who I love, or they, they're supposed to love me. Listen, it happens. Especially if you're a Christian. Okay? These had gathered a multitude after Jeremiah. His very family were the leaders of the plot against him. Yes, the word, it gives emphasis to the guilt. Yes, God says, them. Jeremiah would be told by God not to take a wife later on, as we said in chapter 16, verse 2, because the judgment was coming. 
his own family had betrayed him. And so the prophet was not to believe the words or the brothers of the house of his father. He says, even if they spoke good words, and the word good means agreeable, pleasant words, to deceive him in order to kill him. So he warns him. The threefold repetition of the word even in that verse was for giving emphasis on the warning to Jeremiah in order that he not be discouraged or be taken in by the plot. Even, even, even. They're against you. I'm for you. Don't look to them. Don't trust them. Look to me. Trust me. Good counsel. The instruction and exhortation to the prophet was to depend totally on Yahweh for the direction of his life and for the protection of his life. You remember Samson and Delilah? Delilah said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and he said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him and put his eyes out and they brought him down to Gaza. They bound him in bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. When you and I attempt to do service or warfare in our flesh, we lose our spiritual insight and we end up grinding corn. Pretty heavy price for thinking that we're sufficient. The only thing that we are to trust for our lives in Christ is Christ and His Holy Spirit. The Old Testament principle is very clear. Zechariah 4, 6. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The spirit is willing, but what? The flesh is weak, Jesus said. The believer is to be continually filled with the Spirit, be baptized with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18, constantly. The very first thing that is said before the armor is described and commanded to be put on, in Ephesians 6.10-18, he says, Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Then he says, put on the armor of God. His might. The opposition by family members is always the most difficult to handle in life. A brother is born for adversity, the proverb says. It's difficult when family attacks. But Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. All the things He calls me to do, He will be sufficient for them. Not what I want to do, what He calls me to do. Very important. Each believer must be dependent on the Lord for His strength in all things, small and great. Otherwise, we will fail. The proverb puts it succinctly as Proverbs 24.10 says, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. You're relying on yourself, not the Lord. God is sufficient for the call of the servant. This is the exhortation to the prophet. And so service to God must embrace these three absolute truths about God. God is the protector of the servant. This is the revelation. God is sovereign over the servant, despite the objections. And God is sufficient for the call of the servant. This is the exhortation. And so, service in full trust. A message that we need today. Because we are living like the days of Jeremiah. Things are not going to get better. I'm not a doomsday prophet. I offer you the greatest hope, the soon return of Jesus Christ, and what He can do in you and through you. 
Pastor Xavier Reese, illustrating the sufficiency of a sovereign God as we continue our series in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. And just before we close for today, let me mention that copies of today's Simple Truth study titled Service in Full Trust are available on CD for only $4. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together as well. Once again, the title to ask for is simply Service in Full Trust, or just mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And we hope you'll join us again soon for more Simple Truths right here with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 